Second Kings chapter 11. You'll forgive me for being dry. I have, I'm loaded up on decongestants, so. Aw. 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 Poor guy. It's just, we all do it, all right? So I got it, so. All right, well, after last week, uh, you probably thought the bloody purge was over. Um, last week, that's, that was one bloody passage, isn't it? All about Jehu and the Northern Kingdom, and a lot we've done so far in this study. For those of you, by the way, for those of you who are new to Calvary Chapel, we, we study verse by verse on Wednesday nights. We do what I call clump by clump or chapter by chapter on Sunday mornings through the Bible, and that's one of the distinctives of Calvary Chapel. We go through the entire Bible, and so we are in, we've been doing a study of First and Second Kings. We're in Second Kings now. Last week, we've been looking at how after the, the kingdom had divided between the northern and the southern kingdoms of ancient Israel, uh, we spent a lot of time actually looking at the northern kingdom between the, the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha. Um, and then last week, how God raised a man named uh, Yehu, Jehu, um, who eliminated all of the household all who were left of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, including Jezebel herself. And so that the only thing that was left was a bloody mess on the the ground and just the palms of her hands remained. We went through that and you probably thought, well, I'm glad that's over. Well, we're going to look at a little bit more today, uh, but in the southern kingdom. It's interesting because this, by the way, you may say, "Why why so much gore in the Bible? Why does that have to be there? Well, there's various reasons depending upon what chapter you're looking at. But the bottom line to it is that God is saying we have to be ruthless with sin in our lives. We don't tend to be ruthless with sin in our lives. We, uh, we negotiate with sin in our lives. And it's a picture of how we're to be with sin in our own lives. We're not that good at that. And we look at this, we go, ooh, that's gross. Well, actually, we're, that's what we're supposed to do in one regard. And so... But God's word always challenges us to examine ourselves. Uh, we can read through the Bible. There's many places we see that. Why? Why do we have to examine ourselves? Because there's a traitor who lives within us. We actually have, if you're in Christ, there are two natures that we have. You know, I have, I have my godly nature. I, I'm, I'm in Christ Jesus. But I still have my old nature who's trying to get over. My old nature that still wants to rule my life. And we, every single one of us, anybody who doesn't believe in that would lie to you about other things too. So we all have that. We, we, you know, it goes back and forth. Um, Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, examine yourselves to see that you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Why? Make sure you're saved is first of all what he's saying. Make sure that you're really saved. Test yourselves. Um, am I born again? And then, am I living in his will? Am I living the way that God wants me to live? It's very easy, again, to negotiate all the time. To say, well, you know, compared to somebody else, I'm not doing all that bad. We say, well, I, I examine myself. I look at myself. Well, we have a major problem. In fact, a lot of times, you know, if you challenge someone, you say, you know, hey, brother, what, sister, what, what are you doing that for? Why are you living like that? Why are you living with that guy? Or why are you living with that girl? Why are you smoking that stuff? Why are you, why are you doing this, this, that? Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things. But you don't know me. God knows my heart. Well, that's the only true statement we have, that God knows our heart. We don't know our hearts. People say a lot of times, I know who I am. I know what I'm trying to do. No, you really don't. The Bible says that. In fact, the same one, my, my opinion, who wrote First and Second Kings also wrote, of course, Jeremiah. What does he say? The heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. 
who can know it? In other words, who can know the depths of the wickedness in our hearts? Only God, only God. And so when we say that we know ourselves, we don't. And so, in fact, David says, you know, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my wicked thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way that's everlasting. I mean, we, we like to sing those songs, we like to talk about those things, we use them glibly, but really, God wants us to be that brutal, if you would, with ourselves. So the question for each of us, really, today, no matter who you think you are, no matter how great we think we're doing, we have a tendency to think we're doing great, is who's in charge? Who's really sitting on the throne of your life? So we're going to look at this chapter. We're going to shift now to the southern kingdom. And uh, you might recall from last week that while Jehu was on his bloody purge and he took out all of these descendants of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, when he took out Jehoram, King Jehoram, he also took out one called King Amaziah, or, uh, who was the king of the southern kingdom, but he was related to Ahab and Jezebel, and that's why he died. So when he died, Amaziah's mom took the throne. Now God said, never said that a queen would rule in the kingdom, and certainly a pagan should not rule, and that's who she was. Uh, bad grandma, that's who, you may call her Athaliah, Athalia is how you would pronounce her. Athalia is how you would pronounce her. She's not Italian, Joe, sorry. But uh, she's a. But that's her name, Athalia. She's the original bad grandma. Let's look at this beginning in verse 1. Athalia, uh, the mother of Ahaziah. I was saying Amaziah, sorry, Ahaziah. There's all these Azariahs, Ahaziah, Amaziah. Uh, Athalia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. So she arose and she destroyed all the royal heirs. That would be her grandsons. Bad grandma. Okay, I'm telling you, this is, this is not a nice lady. But Yehoshaphat, the daughter of King Yoram, the sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and hid him and his nurse in the bedroom. Now the bedroom, we find out, is in the temple. Away from Athaliah, so her son was not killed, so that he was not killed, rather. And so he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years, while Athaliah reigned over the land. So just so if you, it's easy to miss who's related to who here. So Athaliah was the mom of Ahaziah, the king who was killed last week when we looked at all that. And his sister, Ahaziah's sister, we read, her name is Yehoshabah. We find out actually she's, she's married to the high priest, we'll get to that. But she steals away this little grandchild who was the son of Ahaziah. One, years old, one year old at this point. Oh. <laughs> oh. She hides him away in the temple. And there he is, we're going to find out, for six years. A total of six years he's there, and only two people know that he's there. Yehoshaphat, the, 
that, that would be Yoash's, uh, King Joash, this will be, uh, his aunt, or Ahaziah's sister, and her husband, Yehoiada, who is the high priest, or chief priest, he's called. Uh, she's ruthless, Natalia, she's ruthless. And she's out to get everybody. She, um, she succeeded, she almost succeeded, in converting the entire southern kingdom to the worship of Baal. Remember, that's what was happening in the northern kingdom. And God brought his judgment against them. And so that's what she's out to do. She's out to convert everybody to Baal worship, just like her mom and dad, Ahab and Jezebel, up in the northern kingdom. And... Um, I often wonder what was it like for Ahaziah because he had to have mommy issues because he's on the king, he's on the throne, right? He's the king, but she's telling him what to do. She's ruling over everything that's happening uh, up there. You know, if you, over the river and through the woods, you didn't want to go to grandma's house back then. You just didn't want to do it, right? Because <laughs> would, you, would you even survive? Um, so now her son is dead. And she's not ruled by anyone. She's not controlled by anything. She's taken the throne. She's got no right to it, but she's taken the throne and no one knows how to steal it away. And so it is then for years. She's bloodthirsty. She's a tyrant. I mean, think of the, how vile someone has to be to murder anybody, let alone their own grandchildren, okay? I mean, but this is, that's one of the things I like about the Bible. You know, as a guy who came out of atheism, you know, I didn't realize it then, but now I realize it, that the Bible is, is, is just brutally honest about everything. God tells you everything. Sometimes you don't want to know it, but he tells you everything. He explains everybody's warts. He, you know, he, he shows you everything. If this was written the way I used to say it was, oh, it was just created, you know, it's, it's, it's a book that men created to control people, you know, invent a religion and all that the warts wouldn't be shown. Everybody would be shown in the greatest light. Not here. Not here at all. And it's interesting, she's out to destroy all of her seed. And now when we look at that, we say, well, yeah, she's bloodthirsty and she just wants to rule. True. But what's the real reason? What's the real reason this is going on? See, the real reason this is going on, and we don't tend to look at that. We don't look at it in terms of our news today. We don't look at it in terms of what's going on in the world in general. But in this situation, what's going on? What's going on here is what's been going on since the beginning of time. That the father of lies, the one who's been a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said, Satan himself has been out to destroy the messianic line. Right? I mean, I think one of, the, one of the best Bible studies, one of the greatest Bible studies that I've ever been involved in, and I read about it in Acts over and over and over again, um, it's what we call footsteps of Messiah, or the scarlet cord. You know, to see the thread of prophecies from, from Genesis all the way on out, prophesying who Christ is, when he would come, how he would come, that he would rule, that he would pay the price for sin, that he would rise again from the dead, that he would ascend to heaven, and that he's coming back. And it's a fascinating Bible study, and here it is. It's a, I mean, you look back and look at simple, well, I say simple things, but think of these, these basic truths that we know about. Pharaoh, who seeks to destroy all the little boys all the Hebrew little boys. Why? He hates them. That's, that's the reason he's doing it. But from Satan's standpoint, he's going to destroy all the little boys so that no one, no little boy can ever ascend ultimately to the throne 
and bring about or, or bring in the Messiah. Or we see it in the book of Esther with Haman, who seeks to destroy every single Israelite. Why? From his standpoint, it's just hatred for Israel, hatred for the Hebrew people. But it's because Satan himself is out to destroy the royal seed, the messianic line. King Herod and, and the destruction of all the little baby boys, two and under, in Bethlehem. Why? Because he hates them and he doesn't want anybody to challenge his throne. But what's the real reason? Because Satan is out to destroy the messianic line. It's so important, it's so sad that so many Christians don't realize that sometimes. I understand why the rest of the world doesn't, but we need to pay attention to that. And we need to pay attention to that in terms of even the news that we watch today. The Messiah has come, but there's a reason that the devil hates Israel. He hates Israel because he knows that when Israel asks for their savior to come back, then Christ will rule the world. And if he can keep them from asking for their savior to come back, Messiah won't rule the world. You think, well, that's silly. No, read your Bible. Hosea chapter five, chapter six, it's right there. These, this is the real story behind the scene so many times. And Jesus said in John 8, chapter, four, chapter 8, verse 44, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't hold to the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. So who's ruling your life today? I mean, ruling your life today. Uh, it, I... I know that most of us in this room are born again, but I've seen myself over the years how often I can start to succumb to the other one, to let the other one start to rule, to take control, to influence my thoughts. Who's ruling? Who's influencing your life today? The devil here in this story is succeeding by wiping out the messianic line. And the temple's in disrepair. I mean, we, we, have, you know, we see the, the Bible in chapters, but it's been probably, let's see, right here, it's about 850 or so, it's about, excuse me while I do the math. It's been about 125 years since Solomon has died. That's a long time. 125 years is a long time. And the temple has fallen into disrepair. It's going to be this little boy who becomes the king, and he's going to take rule over the kingdom, and he's going to see to it that the temple, there's been a couple times, this will be the first one, where the temple is repaired. Who rules your life? It's a really serious question. I mean, it was probably about a year ago we were in our study in Ephesians. And don't worry, we're, gonna, we're in this this morning, but I just, this idea of who rules is so important. We were in Ephesians, if you remember, Ephesians chapter two. And he says there very clearly, and I ask you, do you remember these days? Do you remember the days before you came to Christ? Really, do you remember? Because he says this, he says, and you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. So I wasn't dead, I was very much alive. Yeah, but you were dead. In, in, in one regard, you could say your spirit was dead. You were, you were, you were such a cute little kid when you were born but there was an aspect of you that was dead. And you grew up in that, just like I did. Dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked. How did you walk? How did we live? According to the course of this world. We lived, we walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit who now works in all the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. We were by nature. Our nature was such that we walked a certain way, and by nature we were children of wrath. That's what we deserved. The Bible says that. The wrath of God is being revealed against all mankind. Because although we knew the right way, because we know the right way, you can say, well, I didn't know. I, well, I can say that too. I can say I didn't know, but I did know. Because I, I loved, I've always loved the stars. I could see the order of the heavens. I could see all those things. I knew there's a God, but I denied that there was a God. It's an old saying, but it's a true saying. There's no such thing as an honest atheist. You can say there's no God, but you become your own God at that point. You have to rule your own life, so now you're God. And you know that there's a God. Every single one of us knows there's something beyond me. We lived aimlessly. That's what he's saying. We, we meandered is the word. We just meandered according to the course of this world, according to the winds, all of that. Some of us in here can probably still remember. I mean, it's an old saying that if you, if you were in the 60s, you don't remember the 60s. If you, if you could remember the 60s, you weren't there, you know. But um, you remember. We remember anyhow. And I know what it was like for me. I, I, you know, I, I, I was. I was 60s, 70s. Those were my times. And like when I went to high school, there were four types of people. There were the freaks. There were the jocks. And I said, oh, we can find out who everybody is here. <laughs> there were the freaks. There were the jocks. There were the straights. And there were the greasers. I was a freak. You probably figured that out. <laughs> Not for the reasons I'm going to say, but uh, yeah, freak. Hair down my back. I know I told you that before about my mom. She used to say, you know, when you were, when you were a little, little kid, you were so cute, I could have just eaten you up. You know, hair down my back and half stoned out. She said, now I look at you and I wish I had. <laughs> we were freaks. That was our group. And some of you were straights. Some of you were jocks or greasers. And those were our groups. We meandered according to the course of this world. We meandered according to the winds. We, we meandered. We did. We just clung to those who were like us, where we found a place, where we found some sort of family, some sort of society, and we thought that was great, that was cool. You know, uh, really, I mean, and I'm not glorifying what I did, you know, but I just, I, I did it all except stick a needle in my arm. And I've often thought, I'm so glad that there was no crack back then, because I know what I would have done. I know exactly what I would have done. And some of you who are younger, you're thinking, oh man, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, 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 but you guys with your, some of you, some of you, I don't, I don't speak like that. Baggy pants halfway down, you know. That was bad enough. And then, then they came to the skinny jean thing. Everybody starts talking an octave higher. I don't understand all that stuff. <laughs> Summer, you had f your 4.0s lettered in three or four sports. Yeah, that wasn't me. But we lived according what? To the menu. The devil doesn't care. He places a menu in front of us, in front of you, and says, pick what you like. Whatever you want. Sports? Take it. 
Drugs? Take it. Alcohol? Sex? Gambling? Take it. Not just for 16, 17, 18 year olds. Old people like you. <laughs> all of us. It's all about the menu. He doesn't care. See, your mommy and daddy care. The people around us care what we pick off the menu, but the devil doesn't care what we pick off the menu as long as it's not Jesus Christ. That's all he cares about. He, make, he doesn't care a whit about what we select as long as it's not Messiah. Messiah. He can't have that. But God, who's rich in mercy, oh man, but God, Paul says, who's rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Because it's by grace that you've been saved. And he raised us up together and he made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God, but God. Now here's this woman, Athalia, who's out to kill all the royal seeds. She's going to take control. She's going to have rule over this nation. But God had a plan. She thought she had it done. She thought she had them all killed. She thought she had control over everything. She was going to rule. She had her way. She didn't even know why. She just thought she was doing it because she wanted it. She lusted after it. It was the devil who was doing it because he had to wipe out the royal line. I mean, the, the real royal line, the messianic line. Six years, she succeeded. That's enough to sort of drill into her mind that you got this. You're in control. She didn't know. She didn't know that her own daughter, her own daughter who was married to the high priest, had conspired to hide away this little infant, one-year-old. And for six years, they raised them up. Amazing story. Look, look at this. You thought I'd never get back to it. I know. <laughs> Verse 4, in the seventh year of Jehoiada. By the way, these names are great. Jehoiada is the high priest. Yeah, when you read yeah or yeah, that's, who is that? Yahovah, right? And anybody who's, who's watched Seinfeld knows, yada, 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 okay? <laughs> yada knows, to know, okay? Yehoyada, Yehovah knows, okay? Yehoash, God has given. Yehosheba, God has sworn. So God knew that he had sworn that he had given a son, okay? Um, in the seventh year of Yehoiada, in the seventh year of Yehoiada, meaning in Jehoash's seventh year. Jehoiada sent and he brought the captains of hundreds and bodyguards and escorts and he brought them into the house of the Lord to him and he made a covenant with them and he took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and he showed them the king's son. Nobody knew anything about this up until that point. He brought these guys in and probably at sword point he said, if you say anything, you're dead men. Here's this little boy. I mean, think about the drama here. We're reading it thousands of years later. There's such drama in this. Because they hated her. She was a wicked, bloodthirsty woman. They're living under tyranny. Think about that, living under tyranny. Amazing that that could ever happen to anybody. And here they are living under tyranny. 
And he commanded them saying, this is what you shall do. A third of you are going to do this, a third of you are going to do that, a third of you are going to do the other. I'm skipping over the things. And then verse 7, the two contingents who go off on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house for the Lord. So he did this, if you know this, the, um, the priests would change ships every Sabbath. There was another group who would come up and take control of the responsibilities of the temple. So he did this on Shabbat when you wouldn't work, but he did it on Shabbat when he had double the force there. That's what he's doing here. Verse eight, you shall surround the king on all sides, this little boy, every man with his weapon in his hand and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be, the, you are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So the captains of the hundreds did according to what Jehoiada, the priest had commanded. And each of them took his men who were to be on duty on Shabbat with those who were going off duty on Shabbat, and they came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priests gave the captains of hundreds the spears and shields which had belonged to King David. Think about that. It's like this is really demonstrating that we're going to preserve the line of David that God had promised. That's what they're doing here. Then the escorts stood, every man with his weapon in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar of the house. Uh, and he brought out the king's son put the crown on him. Look at this seven-year-old boy. They put the crown of the king on this seven-year-old boy. It blows my mind. I, maybe you can tell that. They gave him the testimony. That would be the law. Okay, they gave him the law. Every king was to have his own copy of the law. So this is probably a, a scroll that's about as big as Yoash, okay? They made him king. They anointed him. So here's, they poured all this oil over him, all right? And they clapped their hands. Long live the king! Imagine that. You have no idea. You know what it's going to be like one day? What it's going to be like one day? I mean, think about this for a minute. I just think it's amazing. One day, the rule of the wicked one is going to be over, right? And when that happens, like, well, let, let's see what happens here. So, and then Jehoiada, verse 15, the Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds of the army. He said to them, take her outside. Oh, excuse me. I, I, I'm sorry. I get so excited I skip things sometimes. Uh, verse 13, when Atalia heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord, and when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar, right? The king was always standing by a pillar. Remember, there's two pillars, Yakin and Boaz, that were in there. So he's by one of those pillars with a cop with this scroll of Deuteronomy. He's dripping with oil, probably, at this point, with a crown on his head. Kind of a weird sight, but what a glorious sight, too, at the same time. The leaders and the trumpeters were by the king and all the people. The land were rejoicing, blowing trumpets. So Italia tore her clothes and she cried out, Treason! Treason! Man, as she warped. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, take her outside under guard and slay her with the sword and anyone who follows her. And don't let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her. She went by the, uh, the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. So they killed her, you know. One day. One day. We read it, uh, if you guys remember, in Revelation, after we've gone through that whole study in Revelation. We kinda, Revelation sort of bottoms out in chapter 16, 17, and 18. It's like you, you sort of had enough <laughs> of all this horror, you know. And we come to chapter 19, and it says this. This is what's coming, and we're going to see this one day. And this is going to be you crying this. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. That's us, by the way. Saying, hallelujah! 
Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his, uh, of his servants that was shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen and Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, small and great. And I heard the voice of a great multitude saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. We're, that's who we are. We were granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who were called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Yeah, one day, like we see Athalia here slain and how they rejoice. You have any idea how we're going to rejoice one day? Seriously, even right now, as Americans, we look at what's going on in our nation, we say, there's something wrong here, but we go on, we kind of like, la, 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 we don't really listen to the news, we just try to go on day by day. But the things that are going on in our country, the things that are going on in the world are wicked. Wicked, I'm telling you, they're wicked. And one day, one day, not just one person, but all those who've been responsible, all those who've been responsible for all of the murder and the rape and the pillaging, all those responsible for child pornography, pedophilia, all those responsible for that are going to be punished. All who will not repent are going down. And, and we feel today like it's not quite right to, to, to cheer over that, but we will. We'll say hallelujah because the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Finally, there will be righteousness in the land. Finally, there'll be righteousness in the world. Finally, the one true king who deserves to, to reign will rule. And we will cheer. We won't be like this. We're always trying to be so appropriate. No, that's appropriate. To cheer is appropriate at that time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We will. What kind of shape... What kind of shape are you in today? I, I don't mean your bodies, because I, if I meant that, I would never have asked. <laughs> our minds, our spirits. What kind of shape are we in today? Temple of the Holy Spirit. Seven times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he mean it, means it personally, sometimes he means it corporately. What kind of shape are you in today? The temple, the temple of God, each one of us, is in need of repair. It's in need of some serious maintenance, there's no question about that. You know, it's time to do what's right. There's certain things that we actually can't do. We don't know how to, not one of us knows how actually to rid the land of wicked people, we trust God, but we also know that we need to stand up for what's right. Edmund Burke said that evil triumphs when good men do nothing. We all know it, but we don't know how to do what's right. How does it start with us? 
It has to start with us. How do we clean up the temple, our temple, our individual temple? Paul says this in Romans 6. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. We're to live by the Spirit, he says in Galatians. We're to live by the Spirit, by the, by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And if we do that, he says, then we won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We're told here that what Yehoiada does, Yehoiada does, is that he renews the covenant and he makes a covenant with the people between the people, between he and the people and God. And that they, that they pledge to God that they are his people. And really that's where it begins with you and with me. We need to begin there. Sometimes this whole idea of how do I get my life together again, it seems so big we don't know what to do. It starts with the simple things the simple things that we can do. If you know Christ is your savior, then the thing to do is to say to the Lord, I am yours. And I know that I've acted like I'm mine, but today, things change. I'm yours. And I want you to do with my life, Lord, what you want to do with my life. It says that when they did that, Revival swept through the land. This king, Yoash, was a great king for a while. You know, there's, uh, I mentioned last week, you have, in, in the division of the kingdoms, you have 19 kings in the northern kingdoms, and they're all bu- in the northern kingdom, and they're all bums. That's a nice word for them. They're wicked. 20 kings in the southern kingdom. Five were okay. Five were terrific. Actually, no, 10 were okay. Five were terrific, and five were total disasters. But every time that one of the great kings took rule, revival swept the land in the southern kingdom. And when that happened, I mean, what's that like when revival sweeps the land? See, I think we, we, we think sometimes like, uh, revival would be great. I hope it happens someday. And I think a lot of us talk like that, live like that, hope like that. And it's not wrong. But revival has to begin with me. Each one of us has to say, revival begins with me. Regardless of what any man or woman will do, it has to start with me. Because when revival swept the land, that filthy cloud of sin, darkness, fear, loathing, it it lifted off of the southern kingdom. Great things began to happen. All of the hopes, all of the joys that were once known under King David, even in the glory days, the early golden days of King Solomon, all those things, the people loved it. There was prosperity and peace in the land again. Each of us longs for that. 
And I'm not talking about, you know, your memories from your childhood that go back to the 60s or the 70s or whatever it may be. And that's, that's, that's got its place. It's what God wants to do with our lives. Do you remember when you were saved? I think a lot of us have forgotten that. And we don't know how to get that back again. It starts with new life. It was new life then. And it happens with new life now. When we allow him to really take the throne and to rule over our lives. A fire swept the land, not of destruction, but of construction, of instruction. And, and the people grew in the knowledge of the Lord. There were great things. Now, the story of Joash doesn't end well, but the sermon's going to end before that, so I'll leave it there. <laughs> but I'll tell you why it didn't end well. It says that he walked with the Lord. He did all the great things as long as Jehoiada lived. Ooh, there's, that's a sad comment. Yeah, ooh, we say. Now, how many of us are actually dependent on somebody else for some biblical spiritual influence in our lives? When that person is taken away, whether in death or some other way, suddenly we flounder because we didn't have foundation. Yeah, he didn't end well. But he did good things while he was there, and God honored that. Even in terms of how they repaired the church. You know, I find that interesting, or rather, the temple. How they repaired the temple. It's a long story, but this, the sum and substance of it is they were trying to raise money, but it wasn't working. And finally, Yoash took a chest, and he bore a hole in one side. And he said, put your money in here. And as the money came in, they didn't even know what it was or how much it was. They would just give it to the ones who were doing the work on the temple, and it, and it flourished. And I mentioned to you last week that you know, we are, we're putting a letter of intent in um, to the owner of the shopping center down the road. And we know that you know, we'll, we'll, one way or another, we'll raise some funds here in the church for those who are interested, who want to participate in that. We're not going to put up a thermometer on the wall. We don't do things like that. We never have, and we won't. But for those who know that they're a part of this fellowship and they want to be a part of the continuing work and the growth, and, and we'll share, no time now, but I'll share with you some of the vision that God's giving us as far as how we want to be an outreach into the community through that property. If you believe that's the Lord, then I invite you to be a part of that. In a similar way, that's what they were doing here. God wants, to, God wants to rule our lives. Not for any other reason except it's the best thing for us. It's the healthy way to live. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, the only way that's ever going to happen is when you allow him to do that. When you let him know with all your heart, from the bottom of your, your deepest understanding, Lord, I know that Jesus paid the price for my sins. And so I'm giving you my life today. Take control of my life. I, I don't want to die in my sins, but I want to live with you forever. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want the life that you have for me. 
if that's your desire, all you have to do is to pray that. And look, come up here. There'll be prayer partners up here afterward. We'll pray with you. We'll give you a Bible. Don't let the, don't let the opportunity go by because all you have to do is look around. You can tell the opportunities are fading fast. The days are fading fast. And the rest of us, we have two natures now. We have the nature of God in us if you're born again, and we have that same old nature. And if you've been going down that hard road for a long time now, and you know it's because you're denying the one who wants to rule, it's time to let him rule. Again, come on up. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you along, because that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to encourage us in this new life and to walk with the power and the peace and, dare I say, the prosperity that he has for us. By prosperity, I don't mean money. I mean the great blessed things that he has for each one of us. Would you stand with me, please?